Yeah. All right, turn with me this morning, if you would, over to Isaiah chapter 44. chapter this morning and I'd, I'd really like to just kind of maybe make some comments about uh, uh, verses 24 down through 28. The whole chapter really is a very good chapter of uh, the work of uh, again we go back to this as we've talked about many times before there's a physical aspect to this but we most certainly want to look at the spiritual application of this. Now the physical aspect of this is talking about Israel being uh, brought back from uh, Babylonian captivity. It, it is a precursor or a prophecy. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was somewhere around uh, 150, 60 to 200 years before the actual captivity came back. We'll see here in verse 28, the word, or the man Cyrus is brought up. Uh, Cyrus was a, uh, uh, was a ruler back then, and uh, he uh, uh, was one of the ones that the Lord used to uh, redeem Israel back to, uh, back to their land and rebuilt the temple, began the rebuilding of their temple. And, uh, <clears throat> and so this whole chapter is basically uh, God restoring uh, uh, Israel or restoring his people uh, who had uh, been lost into idolatry lost into captivity and uh, again we, we know that this was a physical thing that actually happened as did Israel many times uh, go away from God went away from God and, uh, and everything and the Lord eventually judged the nation Israel um, they could not keep the covenant which we've mentioned this several times over the last few weeks, the, the covenant that he made with physical Israel was a conditional covenant. It wasn't a... Uh, now, the Lord did say that he would perpetually be with them, but that was on the condition that they would keep the covenant, right? So the word perpetual being used in connection with this covenant with the physical Israel uh, doesn't mean eternal covenant. It, it wasn't an uh, unconditional covenant, it was a conditional covenant. Um, and uh, the uh, covenant in Deuteronomy where he even talks about bringing Israel back, that they'll go away but I'm going to bring them back. Well as we see that him talking about that at the last part of that portion of Deuteronomy uh, he says I'll, you know, I'll bring them back but if they continue not in my command if they continue not following after me then I will destroy them off this land, destroy them from all these things. And that's what exactly what the Lord did. Yes, he brought them back uh, on numerous occasions. 
But see, the fact is, is that covenant was never put in place to make anybody perfect. It was never meant for a physical thing. It was always to show forth the spiritual thing that we cannot keep the law of God. Israel could never keep the commands that God had given them. They could never <clears throat> keep the covenant. It was always to show that they were always... Uh, the, uh, the hymn comes to my mind, prone to wander, Lord I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You know, We see over and over and over and over again, Israel continues to go chasing after their, their fleshly desires, after, their, uh, after other gods and things like that. And uh, is that not the testimony of all of us? His spiritual children even. <clears throat> the dog returns to its vomit. We always like to go back to our fleshly things. And, uh, and so we see that, uh, that uh, while there was a physical aspect to this, there is a truly spiritual meaning in this as we get into the New Testament. We begin to see that uh, the types and foreshadows we see in, in this chapter uh, reveal Christ as our, uh, as our shepherd, Christ as our redeemer, and we as Israel or uh, as uh, 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 his people, uh, we are being brought back and we are being redeemed, but the redemption that's under the new covenant, that is an unconditional thing, that is an eternal thing, and it cannot ever be broken. We keep the law of Christ uh, in the new covenant. Uh, there is no breaking of that uh, in the in the uh, in the new covenant, and hopefully, maybe we can see some of these things if the Spirit will be good to uh, teach us this morning. But I want to start reading at verse twenty-four, and as I said, the the previous verses also speak to some of the same things that we see here, and there are some really good things to read in there, and I encourage you to read that. Isaiah is a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, but I mainly want to focus here from 24 to 28. And it says, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and that right there ought to make us cause and pause, or make uh, cause us to pause, uh, because <clears throat> our Redeemer is about to say something to us. This isn't just someone willy-nilly out there going to make some declaration of something. This isn't just uh, some uh, theologian that's going to give us his two cents. This is our Redeemer. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. Uh, our ears should perk up. Our, 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 our minds, if the Spirit would give it to us, to be attentive and our hearts to be receptive of what is about to be said. Our Lord is about to tell us something. And... Uh, whether it's here today, whenever we come uh, and, and preach the Word of God, or whether it's at home, whenever we're studying the Word of God, or praying and, and looking to the Lord, or listening to somebody else preaching on tape, or whatever, whenever the Lord begins to speak and, and, and say something to us, you know, uh, I pray that He gives us a heart to listen, uh, an ear to hear, uh, and, uh, and a mind to receive it. He says, Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. See, he's not just our redeemer, but brethren, he's our creator. He made us. Matter of fact, we'll see here in just a minute, he's made everything. But specifically, he has made us. Our God has fashioned us, made us, intimately knows us, 
He has done all these things, but yet he is also our Redeemer. Um, now, we can't say that about everybody. Now, he is the creator, creator of everybody. He has formed everybody in the womb. Uh, not one person that's ever been born uh, of Adam uh, ever was born by accident. Now, we talked about accidents between a husband and a wife. You know, we weren't expecting that child or planning to have a child, but all of a sudden, here it comes. There are no accidents. Everything is by the will of God. Everything is by the purpose and plan of God. And every every child that is fashioned in the womb is fashioned by God. It isn't fashioned because the mom and dad knew what to do. You know, the Bible says that he fashions these people in the womb. You know, me and my wife, we tried to have kids for eight years. All the mechanisms were in place. Everything was working as it should work. But we couldn't create life. We couldn't make that happen. It was only when God was pleased to knit one of them children in the womb that life actually began. And how sad, we were talking just a while ago about the abortion stuff, how sad it is that so many people are so rabid about wanting to end those lives. Uh, and how our country has become so obsessed with making sure that everybody feels good and is, is, has their right to be able to end that life if they want to, if it's just going to be a, a you know, a problem to them, you know. I didn't want that, therefore I'm going in that life. Well, just know that every life that is in the womb, God has created it. He has formed it. He says, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretches forth the heavens alone, and spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Nobody else aided him in that. Uh, there wasn't no big bang that it just came out of nowhere. You know, it wasn't evolution that created all things. It wasn't some uh, little atom that all of a sudden cleaned onto another atom, and all of a sudden all these things started building together. There wasn't no some explosion of light that just by chance started spreading out and creating whatever was created. <coughs> Matter of fact, probably ninety to 99% of all cosmology that we hear about today is not biblical. <laughs> is not anything close to what Scripture has, has taught. But we see here that the Lord has stretched forth the heavens alone and that spreadeth abroad the earth. He is reminding us here, I am the Lord, I am thy Redeemer, I am the one who knit you in the womb, you have life because of me, and everything that that life that you have that I knitted together that you're going to experience in this world, whether it be on earth or whether it be in heaven, I have created it as well. So we see here, God is reminding us who is God, who is in control. He is reminding us of his sovereignty. He is uh, reminding us of his majesty. He is reminding us of his creatorship. He is God. Now, if he be God, and I truly believe that he is, he said he was, and if he has done all these things, that everything that has life and everything that is that exists has been created and formed and made by him, then that would tell me that he is over all things. That would tell me that he is sovereign. That means nothing is outside of his control because he made it and he controls it. 
See, man can make things that they can't control. They make bombs. Man can make a bomb, but he can't control a bomb. Whenever that thing goes off, it goes off, and whatever's in its vicinity is going to blow up. You can't control some things, but God, He is the only one who not only has made everything, but has the power and the right to control everything. He says, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners mad, that turneth wise men backward, and maketh their knowledge foolish. See, God, not only is He the Creator, not only is He the fabricator of life, not only is He our Redeemer, but He is wisdom. He has all knowledge. And He can do whatever He wants. And here we see, He frustrated the tokens of the liars. What does that mean? Well, those, the, the tokens that, that's meaning there is uh, the monuments or the, uh, uh, the displays of the, uh, uh, of the liars. All those that are out here that are, are liars, he puts to naught everything that they do. I, I re- remember back uh, in, uh, in when Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh and everything that, uh, every miracle that was performed before Pharaoh, his guys came out and tried to do something, but every time they did something, God's side eat it up like the staff whenever he threw the staff down and they threw their staff down and become a snake well Moses' staff went over and ate their snake uh, ate their staff up you know it puts them on display as who they truly are as liars and God does that before the faces of men before the people of men the wisdom of men he brings those things to naught his wisdom is higher than their uh, his foolishness the bible says is higher than their wisdom matter of fact i think it's, it's 1 corinthians chapter 1 want to lie here or just speak 1 corinthians chapter 1 we was there not too long ago yeah 1 corinthians uh Chapter 1 and verse uh, 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Men like to raise up and make themselves look smart. They like to boast of their intelligence, of their technology. Oh, listen, we've made a God out of technology today. And men and scientists, especially scientists, we have put scientists up on such a pedal as gods. You would think Neil deGrasse Tyson is, uh, is some sort of deity, the way most people look at him and the way he talks to most people. <laughs> You would think that he's some sort of a deity, you know. But the Bible says that God in his infinite wisdom, his infinite knowledge, and his in, in even his foolishness, and of course there is no foolishness in God, but there, it's a comparison. That even the lowest level of God's, if there was foolishness, would be above man's wisdom. That's what it's basically saying. It brings to naught all these men. It says it makes the diviners mad. 
They try to they try to deviate. They try to uh, fool us. They try to have sway overs. And, and, and you know what comes to my mind is all these preachers on TV. Uh, you know, it's it's like there's some sort of a uh, soothsayer over all the people. You know, Joe Olstein and all those people that's in his church and everybody that watches him on TV and everything. And he gets up there with all of his nice sayings and, and pretty sayings and his slick look and all that. You know, nice smile and all that kind of stuff. But he's literally casting divination, divination, however you want to say it, over all these people. He's casting uh, uh, falsity and preaching unto them lies and, and another God and another Jesus. And now, it's not just him. I would say that 90% of evangelicalism is doing the same thing. Uh, some of them are more closer to the truth than others, but it's still not the full truth. And they are they are casting these uh, these uh, 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 falsities and lies upon the people, and the reason is is because they're of their father the devil, who is the father of all lies. And it says here that he <clears throat> turneth the wise men backward and maketh their knowledge foolish. But look at verse twenty six. It says that confirmeth the word of his servant. And performeth the counsel of his messengers, that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah ye shall be built up, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. Brethren, aren't you thankful that the Lord has built up the decayed places of our life? The Bible says that we are born into this world, conceived in sin. We are under sin, we are under Satan, we are under condemnation. If we uh, uh, are under the law, we're under condemnation. Now, thankfully, the Lord has not appointed us to condemnation. The Lord has not uh, appointed us to wrath. Uh, he has not uh, uh, seen that uh, wickedness in us because our surety has stood for us all these times. But surely in Adam, our flesh is under condemnation because of the breaking of God's law that we do. But with all those things that we have been under, sin and Satan and self and flesh and sin and all these things, the Bible says that he has raised up the decayed places, that he has caused the inhabitants of his city to be inhabited. You think back in the physical, how the mighty Jerusalem and how it was uh, emptied out. They were gone into captivity. It laid bare. It laid, it laid empty. And what a what a pity that was of such a beautiful place and such a place where God's presence had been. But yet, there's nothing there. It's empty and dead. And the Bible says that we, His people, uh, even though in, in, in uh, being in Christ Jesus from the foundation of the world as we are in Adam, the Bible says we are dead in trespasses and sins. We are empty and void of anything spiritual. We are empty of, of anything holy. We are, we are void of any kind of righteousness. We have nothing there. We are laid waste before God. But yet the Bible says that His city, His city, His spiritual city, the new Jerusalem, the people of God, that that city will be inhabited. See, that's a promise of God that His people will Continue that his people will make up 
that wonderful city. That is a, a surety that what God's purpose is from the foundation of the world to save a people unto himself and to sanctify a people unto himself. And though they fall in Adam, though they are ruined in sin and, 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 and deceit and, and uh, all kinds of vileness, that even though they are like that, he shall redeem them out of that and he will build unto himself a holy city. Man, we ought, I mean, if anything to be thankful of this Thanksgiving season is to be thankful that the Lord brought us up out of the miry clay. That the Lord has taken us and has set our feet upon the rock of Christ Jesus. That He has uh, delivered us from sin. He has delivered us from death. He has delivered us from, from uh, our, our captor, which was Satan. He has delivered us from all those things. And it says here that He will... Uh, it says, Thou shalt be inhabited in the cities of Judah. Ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. That saith to the deep, Be dry, and will dry up thy rivers. I think back to uh, whenever the children of Israel was brought out. God redeemed and delivered uh, Israel out of uh, Egypt. And they come up to the Red Sea, and it looked like we're not going nowhere. We should have just stayed where we was. Now they're going to come pursue us. going to kill us right here. But yet God opened up that sea. And on dry land, they walked across. He dried up the rivers. He dried up the sea. He dried up the waters so that they could walk across on dry land. And I think that God, as our Redeemer, who is the Creator, who has made all things and has put to naught all the wisdom of the, uh, of the wise, uh, who thinks that everything is done by our own self-efforts, our own self-righteousness. See, they can't understand. That's the, thing. That's the thing about this wisdom part, is they think in wisdom, well, obviously there's something we have to do, right? That's the whole thing about free will. People have to have free will because there's something that we have to do. There has to be a response. There has to be a receiving. There has to be a believing. There has to be a repenting. There has to be something that we do for God to do what He does. Everything that Jesus did, yeah, that was great, but unless we do this, it can't be enacted upon us. We can't receive it. We can't, we can't get the good out of it unless we perform some sort of a, a thing. And the wisdom of the wise says that it's by our own self-righteous works that we accomplish this. But God said, no, it's not. It's the works of somebody else. It's these. It's the substitutionary work of somebody else. This person is completely guilty. This person is completely vile. This, can per this person cannot do anything in and of himself, cannot do anything. But this man over here, he came and he did it all. He died. He resurrected. And everything that he did, this person gets the credit for. <coughs> this person gets the credit for everything that this man purchased for them. It goes on their account. And the wise say, well, that don't make any sense. You mean to just tell me this man is going to live all the law for them? They don't have to live the law? Absolutely, that's what it says. You mean tell me that this guy right here is going to take on the wrath of God and those people, as bad as they are, some of them are worse than others. Vile, evil people. You mean to tell me that they are going to go free? That's 
exactly what I'm saying. Their minds can't comprehend that. But God in His infinite wisdom, in the mystery of God, sent forth Christ as our substitute. And in that substitution, He took on everything that should have been ours. He has purchased everything that is going to be blessed to us. And we don't have to do anything for that. And the wise man says that don't make sense. But to God, He has made the wisdom of the wise nothing He has provided a way. Whenever it looked like there is no way, God provided that way. Just as they went up to the sea, they didn't think there was any way, God provided the way. He was able to part those seas. He was able to give us dry ground to walk on. He was able to deliver us not not only out of Egypt, but He delivered us out of Egypt and through the temptuous trials and circumstances of this life, and brought us over into the promised land of rest. Me and my Uncle Todd was talking. He called me last night. And we were talking about a few things. and One of the things we got to talking about is, uh, is rest. Uh, <clears throat> how a lot of people, this whole, this whole understanding of whenever you begin, the more and more you begin to see what Christ has done for us, and our identity being in Him, and how much rest that brings, knowing that it's all about God. God, it's all God. I mean, God does everything for us. We can't do anything for ourselves. God does everything for us. And whenever you begin to see those things and you enter into that true biblical rest, brother, that right there, that rest, and I, what I told my uncle, I said, yeah, people get pretty wound up about that whenever whenever you truly are someone who rests in Christ, not only for what he has done legally on your behalf, but also what he's doing for you experientially, day by day. Whenever you're resting knowing that, hey, everything is ordered by God, everything is controlled by God, purposed by God, predestinated by God, everything that I'm doing throughout the day, moment by moment, minute by minute, second by second, every attitude, every decision, every action, every reaction, everything that I do is controlled and purposed and ordered by God, and how much I am learning and growing in the grace and knowledge of God, and how much I'm not is also controlled by Him that all good works that God has ordained from the foundation of the world has been ordained by Him and I'm not going to make any more than that and I'm not going to do less than that. That everything has been ordered by God and my life on this earth and my purpose that God has made that I'm here for that purpose that everything is going to be accomplished exactly as He has ordained it, predestinated it, and nothing's going to deviate from it. Whenever I start trusting as much in the experiential sovereignty of God as I do in the legal sovereignty of God, people look at you and you say, well, you're just complacent. <laughs> you just, well, whatever will be, will be. You're, you know, just going to rest on your laurels and do nothing. And I told my Uncle Tom my side, I said, whenever you see somebody who's resting, What are they doing? They're not doing anything. They're resting. A person that is at rest means that they cease from their labor. They cease from doing anything. They are resting. I sit in this chair. I fall asleep. There might be a lot of stuff going on around me, but I'm doing nothing. I'm just resting. 
And see, that's where the rub hits the people that are the wise of this world. They can't understand that. You mean to tell me you just do nothing? It's not that we're not doing something. It's just that we're trusting God to do it for us and in us. If there's anything that God wants done, He's going to do it. I don't have to worry myself about that. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your request be done unto the Lord. I was telling the Lord the other day, I was working on a piece of extra equipment down in Clarksville, and I had already been down there a couple of times. Uh, went down there and tested. They were having some issues. A certain error was coming up on their x-ray machine. And I troubleshot it all the way down. It came to two components, an x-ray tube and an x-ray high-voltage tank. But there was no way to determine which one was the culprit. So I took the x-ray tube off, and I put on one that we knew was a working tube. And uh, But yet it was giving some weird readings, and so I couldn't trust that that tube was actually good in and of itself to my test tube. So it came down to, well, we need to order a tube. It's the cheaper of the two. Let's order a tube. If that's not the problem, then... You know, we'll take the two back and then we'll order the high voltage tank. So I'd already been down there, done that troubleshooting, ordered the tube, came back, put the tube on, and that wasn't the problem. So they were down again for a few days. The high voltage tank was the problem. When we called the uh, manufacturer, the tank was backordered and it said maybe a couple of weeks before they could get any produced and out. And so the doctor was furious that it was going to take that long. Uh, and so he told us that we needed to figure something out, otherwise he's going to have to call somebody else and see if they can do something for him. So we called around to all the distributors in the United States. This tank comes out of Canada. But anyway, we called around to all the distributors in the, in the country that might have some of these new tanks, and nobody had them. They said, we're just like you. We're waiting in line to get, get stuff. And so we called the manufacturer back, and he said, you know, Hey, I'm going to try to work something out and maybe see if production can take one out of a unit that we've already put together and get it out to you and uh, and everything. So we told the doctor, looks like they're going to try to do this. This was on Friday. They're going to ship it out on Monday. Well, Monday rolls around and they contact us and says something fell through. We are not able to do that. So I wasn't going to be able to go down there. The doctor was furious again. He's going to have to wait. So... It all came down to us trying to find this tank. When we finally, the manufacturer said, we know one place in Colorado that they might have one of those tanks that match your system. And uh, we're going to contact them for you, see if they'll be willing to send you their tank. And then whenever we get your tank fit, uh, get your tank built, we'll send it to them. So all that worked out. So we figured out, man, that's going to be good. We're going to be able to, to do that. And so I got down there on Friday, and I was praying to the Lord whenever I was getting in there. Lord, please let this work, because they've already been down all this time. It's been a whole week, and the doctor is furious. And if this doesn't come through and something else is still wrong, he's going to drop us and go somewhere else. You know, please let this work. So, yeah, I was praying a little selfishly that the Lord would pull through on this for me. That was my will, you know. And once I got it all put on there, then I go through this calibration process, and there's different steps in this calibration process. Well, every time it passed one of these steps, I thought, thank the Lord. I thank you, Lord, 
Can you get me through there? Can you get me through the next one? And I did that at every step on this thing. Whenever it was all done, I thanked the Lord that it all passed and it was all working. And as I left, I was pulling off and I driving. And I said, thank you, Lord, for letting all that work and everything. And I got to thinking and I said, would you be thanking the Lord for this if it hadn't worked? And I told the Lord, I just, I thought, and I'm talking out loud in my, in my van. I said, Lord, it isn't that I doubted your ability to bring this thing to working order here. Nor do I think that my will supersedes your will. I was praying that that was, would be your will. But my thing that was getting me was I know my flesh and how would my flesh have handled if it wasn't your will with that word. That was more what I was afraid of is what my flesh would say and what my flesh would do. And I was reminded even that is of God. See the Lord controls all these things and whenever we come into rest, whenever we come to the place where we see that God has not only brought us out, He has delivered us, brought us through all the things, the wandering in... Again, I need to choose my words better. It's not wandering in the wilderness. He was led in the wilderness. They were led through the wilderness. The Lord is leading. The Lord has purposed all these things for us. And so the God who is at the first of our passages here, has reassured us of who He is. He's our Redeemer. We're redeemed. There's nothing going to change that. We can't change being redeemed, no matter how bad we are, no matter how uh, uh, disobedient we might be. And this isn't a, a license to go do whatever you want. I'm just saying, it doesn't matter how much we fail God. If we have been redeemed, you can't unredeem us. Nobody can unredeem us. We're redeemed. And God is saying, if I'm in control of all things, then nothing is going to change that control. Nothing is going to change what I have purposed, what I have planned. And if I'm going to bring you out, if I'm going to, and I've made the declaration, the city is going to be inhabited. That the decayed places are going to be brought out. And praise the Lord that He has caused us to be born again, not of this earthly seed, but of the heavenly seed. That he has given us uh, a spiritual life. But notice what he says at the, at the last verse. And hopefully this all ties together and makes sense. But He says, That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. Now again, remember Cyrus was a, uh, was a uh, pagan king. He wasn't, he wasn't an Israelite king. He was a pagan king. But the Lord chose him out. And again... The Lord makes this declaration by Isaiah, and Isaiah wrote this almost 200 years before, Isaiah, or before Cyrus ever did this. Matter of fact, uh, I was reading in some of the comments about this verse. Uh, I can't remember who it was that I was reading, but anyway, they said that in uh, Josephus' book, uh, Antiquity of the Jews, I think it was, that uh, Cyrus read... Isaiah and seeing his name there and how uh, how that that was amazing to him to see that God singled him out as a person 200 years before he was even on the scene and did everything this right here tells us that 
God isn't just a fortune teller. <laughs> isn't a fortune teller. That God has decreed all things. He decreed the very person who would bring these people out of Babylon back into uh, back into uh, Jerusalem. That he would rebuild their uh, uh, rebuild their cities and rebuild their uh, tabernacle. And so Cyrus was the one that God had chosen for this. Now, in this, we see, and I actually had a few people that kind of give me a little guff about this a long time ago, whenever I preached about Cyrus one time. This, in my understanding, or at least the way I see it, even though this is a Babylonian king, this here is a type of Christ. Cyrus is a type of Christ. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. The Lord only has one shepherd. We talk about pastors being shepherds, but really they're not shepherds in the sense that Christ is. Christ is the good shepherd. He is the only shepherd. Um, people don't listen to my voice, but they do listen to his voice. Someone may agree with what I'm saying, but that's because they heard the voice of the shepherd say before me. Um... <clears throat> It says, He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. Everything that God had predetermined, Cyrus did exactly the way God predetermined it. And let me say this to all those who don't believe that hold the conditional time salvation. Did Cyrus have a free will to choose to do what he did? God predestinated exactly what Cyrus would do and how he did it. 200 years before that, well, before the foundation of the world, God determined it, but he, he declared it 200 years before Cyrus did it, and Cyrus did exactly as God had determined that it would be done. Even this, look this, it says, Thou shalt be built unto the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. And notice that it said foundation, but not the whole entire thing. If you look back at the account of Cyrus, while Cyrus was in power, only the foundation of the temple was laid. It wasn't until later, under I think it was Darius, that the rest of the temple was made. So God had determined exactly what would be done. But let's think about this as it pertains to Christ, brethren. He is our shepherd. He is the good shepherd of his sheep. He feeds them. The Bible says that, that he leads us beside the still waters. He restores our soul. That He uh, uh, leads us down to green pastures. Matter of fact, in the uh, preceding verses up here, uh, He says in verse 3, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass as willows by the water's courses. He has everything that we have need of. He is our shepherd. He knows what we need when we need it, and He provides that for us. And He says, And He shall perform all my pleasure. I think back to the Scriptures that say, talk about the Lord, that He will do all of His pleasure. Nothing can stay His hand. Nothing can stop Him. Nothing can thwart Him. He mentioned it here in the preceding verses even, that you know He is controlling all things. He is God of creation. And so, this... Cyrus, or this shepherd, is going to be the one who performs, what does it say? All my pleasure. Who is it the one that performed all the pleasure? It was his servant, his shepherd. 
It wasn't the people, it wasn't the sheep that performed all his pleasure, but it was the shepherd who performed all the pleasure. He says, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Brother, didn't Jesus say that I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? If Jesus says, Thou shalt, if the scriptures say, I will, I think that we can count that He is going to make sure that it's going to be done. His church was built. His church was began. The Bible says that the foundation was laid by the apostles and Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And we are being built up into this holy tabernacle, this holy city. We are lively stones in that. And so we see that God has pronounced that His people, His spiritual people, will be built into that beautiful city. That it will be put together and the foundation has already been laid in the in the great shepherd the foundation has been laid by the great shepherd i mean when you just think about it whenever jesus came and walked the shores of galilee and he started gathering that first church and he began to teach them all things concerning himself right he, what was he doing i had a, this conversation with a gentleman who's been watching our messages and he's really kind of talking a lot about uh the law and and Israel having still some physical promises to be kept and all like this, and we've been discussing stuff back and forth. And I've been talking about this, is that we see Christ here, uh, he has performed all things for God, and his people are going to receive all these things. And this this teaching that Jesus did whenever he came, the Bible says on several occasions, that he began to expand. Of course, we know the only Bible that they had was the Old Testament, right, at that time. Jesus began to preach and teach from the Old Testament everything and showing everybody that all things concerned Him. He began to show them the spiritual fulfillment of all the types and foreshadows in the Old Testament. On the road to Emmaus, the Bible says that He opened up to those men their minds and understanding. Why? Because we know the Scripture says that Christ was veiled or there was a mystery to Christ in the Old Testament, while they believed on the Messiah that was to come, they believed that their salvation was in the seed that Abraham was promised. They didn't know the full details like we know now. But yet they did trust in that Messiah. Their faith was in Him to be their Redeemer. Their faith was in Him to be their salvation. And so they knew who their salvation was. They knew who their Redeemer was. Job said, I know who my Redeemer is. I know that my Redeemer liveth. They understood these things in a veiled form, but whenever the New Testament starts, whenever the fullness of these things began to be shown, especially after the uh, death and burial of Christ and resurrection of Christ, we see that Christ began to open up their minds to understand, oh, all these things in type and shadow is talking about me. He's talking about his people, his true spiritual people. And so he began to talk, teach them that. And I believe in those three and a half years, he was teaching them all these things. Many times he would say, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You have heard it said. Now, a lot of that had to do with the Pharisees who were <laughs> twisting scriptures or making up their own things. But he said, you have heard it said in the Old Testament 
this, this, and this, but I say unto you, and he give them the spiritual understanding of it. We know at the Council of Jerusalem, there were some things that were being brought up about the prophet Joel. And to some people, that was talking about some future rebuilt temple and all like that. But Peter and all them stood up and said, James stood up and said, he's talking about the Gentiles being included. So there's a spiritual application that's being brought up. Jesus taught that, and he prepared that first church, the apostles. He prepared those, and they began to be the foundation of the new covenant church. The testament, uh, or excuse me, not the testament, the uh, pillar and the ground of truth. And that has been perpetuated throughout every generation. That truth, that gospel, that spiritual understanding of these types and foreshadows of who Christ was in the Old Testament and the people of God that was signified in the Old Testament and through a physical nation was representative of those of the spiritual people of God. And so whenever we see here, Thou shalt be built up, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid, we can't look any further than knowing and understanding that Christ Jesus himself has built his church and he's building that up, that term, I shall build my church, is an ongoing thing. It's heaping up on top of it. He is continually building that thing. He is building this edifice that is a spiritual edifice and not a physical edifice. He's building something that is a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. He's laying the foundation, and he's building upon that foundation. That foundation was laid. Matter of fact, the Bible says that the faith that was once delivered to the saints... He's not continually to give new revelation of new things as time goes on. Now, we are revealed things that we have not yet learned or known, but the faith that Christ Jesus had given to the saints, that first church, that foundation was laid. And it was perpetuated by those churches. And wherever those churches went and other churches sprung up from their uh, from their preaching and teaching, and as the Lord saved and added to the church, that faith was passed down, and I believe that's why we have it today. We never did go into Catholicism. We never did come out in some Reformation. We never did need reform that the church of Jesus Christ, the New Testament churches, have always existed, and that truth has always been passed down from generation to generation because he promised that it would. And so we have a clear picture here, brethren, of our sovereign God who is our Redeemer, who has promised that He will make sure that His church is built. We wonder a lot of times, you know, am I doing enough? Am I getting out and evangelizing? Am I trying to get people in? Do I advertise or do we, you know, call on people enough, you know, to get them to try to come to church and all this kind of stuff? But the Bible says that He, the Good Shepherd, is going to build the church. That he has laid the foundation and that he is building this thing up to a holy temple. And we don't have to worry about that. We can rest in the fact that he is the great builder. He is the great carpenter. He, it's kind of ironic that Jesus was, his uh, earthly uh, dad was a carpenter. Because Jesus is the one who is building the church. Whether or not Jesus did carpentry work, I don't know for sure. It might be to say something in the Bible about him doing it. I don't recall, even though Joseph was a carpenter, I don't necessarily know if Jesus did that or not. He probably helped out some, but I don't know. But anyway, he was around it, and he'd seen it, knew about it. He might have been. I don't know. 
But he is truly the builder of the church, and we can rest in him for that. So that's all I have to say about some of that stuff. Y'all have anything you'd like to add to it or correct or rebuke or anything? Anybody got anything you'd like to add? Father, Lord, we come now and we just thank you for Christ and we thank you for this day today that you've given us. Father, we just uh, ask that you be with us as we leave this place today that you might keep us and that you might direct our steps as you have promised to do. We thank you for the church and we ask, Lord, that you might continue to minister to our hearts and that you might keep us in the faith. And uh, Father, we thank you for Christ Jesus and the salvation that we have in through them. I want to lift up this morning uh, Daniel and my son Zach this morning, Lord, that you might be with them as they're sick. And Lord, I ask that you might uh, minister uh, healing to them that be your will. Uh, Lord, we also pray that you might be with us now in this time of fellowship after the, the uh, services, Lord, and that you might be glorified in all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.